What's going on, guys? Welcome to In The Zone. I'm your host, Garrison Roy, and today we're going to have a full-length interview episode. Uh, but if you want to go back to any of the other previous ones, we do have rants where I go on and you know discuss hot topics or call out some of the BS in the industry. And then we also have deep dive educational ones, getting a little bit more into the nitty-gritty and some of the research and those mental minutes to help elevate your performance and help you get in the zone. Right. Uh, but without further ado, we're going to go ahead and get right into it for this one. Super pumped. Uh, but we have uh, Flint Wallace, the coordinator of pitching strategies with the Colorado Rockies. What's going on, Flint? Not a lot, Garrison. How are you, man? Doing great, man. I, You know, I was kind of reflecting back earlier before we did this call. I was like, you know what? We've crossed paths several times, really. Like one is me being an athlete down at the Texas mm-hmm. Baseball Ranch and then also as a coach, too. So, yep. you know, it's it's kind of cool how it's all comes full circle and seeing how we've developed and changed over the years, but still still in baseball. Yeah, no, I've really enjoyed seeing your progress uh, from, as a player and then into the coaching realm and uh, giving information to everybody and trying to keep uh, progressing the baseball game and move it forward. I love it. Yeah, no, that's the name of the game pretty much. You know, we want to make sure everybody has – like we mentioned off air a little bit, everyone has the same information, but there is a lot of misinformation out there. And I want to definitely kind of cut that out as much as possible because, you know, it can ruin some guys' careers or, you know, kind of deter guys off and maybe lead them down injuries possibly too. So we want to keep them out of that and making sure that they're prepared for whatever lies ahead for them. Absolutely. Yeah. And speaking of which, like you're getting prepped and ready for spring training here coming up. Right. So what's that look like for for you guys is, you know, you people say, like, oh, hey, the report time's here. But a lot of the coaches definitely show up before then. Right. But how does that kind of fold into maybe a little bit behind the scenes that some people may not fully understand as a as a spectator? Yeah, coaches uh, start trickling in a few days beforehand. Uh, everybody's there a couple of days before the players report. Um, we get we our report dates uh, for us coaches wise. Nate is next Monday, and then we do our physicals, and then they with long when they do their physicals, and then then we have some meetings and stuff before. And it's nice the first you know week or so. It's just pitchers and catchers, so. You, you kind of move in slowly and get your feet wet and, uh, you know, you're not having to uh, navigate everybody. And then position players come in and then so it gets a little bit more hectic. And then a couple of weeks after that, then you have, you know, 150 extra minor leaguers come in and then it gets really uh, chaotic a little bit, but it's fun. Oh, yeah. A lot of moving parts, a lot of bodies everywhere, you know, and then the games start rolling in. So then you got to make sure everybody's in the right place. Definitely controlled chaos, I'm sure. (laughs) And we have so many people to deal with. But cool. Well, you know, being the the coordinator of pitching strategies, I think that kind of encompasses a lot of things, right? Like strategies as far as pitch execution or like, hey, this is what we're gonna do for, you know, 
prepping for throwing or, you know, whatever their focus is for bullpens, pitch changes, things like that, right? Like, and you probably have to talk to guys all throughout the entire system, if if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I travel everywhere during the, the season, all the way from the big leagues down to the Dominican. I hit everybody, uh, try to get to everywhere at least twice, but in most of the three times if I can. Um, yeah. And it's just a kind of all encompassing on the development of how we want that guy to progress. So we look at his strengths. We look at, uh, what he's doing with his pitch metrics, what he does with his delivery, um, what he's doing if he's recovering well enough, what he's doing between outings, uh, what he's doing to prep himself for the workload and try to match that all up to each individual to maximize his uh, potential and, you know, and his ability and hopefully help us win ball games in, in Denver. Yeah, that's it. That's the name of the game and get it all that matched up. Um, and especially in spring training, right? Like you have guys may or may not have been in touch with them. And they're kind of off doing their own thing, going with whichever program. But once you see them there in spring training, it's like, hey, now we're we're kind of rolling with what we have in in a way. Like you can't do there. There's still some prep time, right? But at the name of the, or basically, whenever you get to sending those guys off to whatever teams are going to be, like just like, hey, this is it. Like this is what we're rolling with, right? So how yeah. do you, how do you maneuver that to where, like, let's say maybe a guy's not too far along with his throwing plan or, um, you know, maybe he's back a little bit further. How do you guys make those type of decisions on like, Hey, this guy should maybe have shorter outings starting out for spring training, or maybe we keep them back for extended. How does that typically work? Yeah. Uh, we stay in contact with our guys pretty quite a bit in the off season. We had the six week period this year where we really weren't much contact, but, uh, we're in touch with our guys. I would say, I would doubt if we ever go more than two weeks without at least one of the coaches touching base with them uh, during the times we can talk to them. So we know how the throwing programs are going. Uh, if they're on pace to, to be where they need to be workload wise uh, by the time spring training comes. So we have a pretty good idea of where guys are. Uh, we believe in that uh, communication process with our guys. We want to be open with them and we want them to be open with us. Uh, you know, we talk to them about the facilities they train at and what their training is and, you know, what what our goals are for them that we see and what their goals are for themselves. And hopefully those are matching up with what they're doing in the off season. And then if a guy is a little bit behind, we know that usually we know going in uh, mm-hmm. and we just make the adjustments according, just like you would in the season. If somebody is, you know, got nicked up or got a little extra sore or whatever, and you have to uh, dial back a little bit. Uh, you got to keep the big picture in mind. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon in pro ball. hundred percent. Yeah. And if you want these guys to stay within the system and continue to develop, you know, there's, there's no, there is a rush, but then there isn't a rush <laughs> in, yeah. in a way. Right. Like, it's yeah. like hey, we want this to be done in a proper time, but at the same time, like, Hey, we can't wait around forever for everything to basically heal, you know, different injuries, cause maybe some guys to either potentially hang it up and or whatnot. But, mm-hmm. you know, th- those are probably all tough conversations to have too. And within, you know, every type of communication that you have, and maybe even some guys that don't speak English very well, you've probably got a whole another system for that. So Yeah, that's, that's a Yeah. You got to rely on uh, 
you know, you're, uh, you know, some Latin coaches. Uh, I know enough uh, Spanish to get by on the uh, baseball field, but if we go conversationally or whatever, I, you know, I definitely have to have some help in that mm-hmm. aspect of it. But, but they know uh, I tried with the Spanish and I, that, that goes a long ways with those guys. When you're at least trying to work with them and trying to talk that language and learn words, uh, they see that. And they, I think they respect that. Oh, absolutely. And it's good to have the translators there too kind of help communicate like, okay, hey, maybe this word isn't the best thing that I'm trying to actually get across to this guy, right? Like, or, you know, it could be lost in the translation. Like, hey, you're saying hip, but you're actually really saying something completely different in, in, in the other language that you're just like, uh, yeah. I think this is it, but this is what I'm trying to say. Like, hey, rotate your hip, rotate this, or, you know, like get your arm up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one good thing, I, I guess, my style and the style we try to go by is, is a lot of visual learning anyway. So mm-hmm. carries, uh, I think uh, just with the amount of screen time guys have these days growing up and everything, they that is pretty much their all their learning language or their number one learning language. And so as much as you can show it to them uh, in different ways and different aspects, I think you get your point across way quicker than with words and them trying to process what what is going on and, and picture it through words in their head. Just actually give them the picture. There's enough out there that you can, you can find the video that you need to show it. You got plenty of video nowadays. I mean, true media, you can spit it out all the different angles, wherever you got, depending on which field they're at. Right. Like you can just yeah. anything and just be like, Hey, this was an outing where this was really good. This is an outing where it wasn't that good. And probably yeah. need to work on it. And this is what we got to do differently game plan forward right like right pretty simple love it it. so i guess for you guys and again i don't want to give away any arbitrary information for the rockies but what are some indicators for maybe guys that you see within the minor league system you're like okay hey this guy's flashing this or you know maybe you see some potential in a guy how do you you know you probably already have some type of long track record of where you would want them to develop, but how do you check off and see that like, Hey, they're hitting these points to where they're able to stair step up the levels or the ranks of the minor leagues. But is there anything that you guys kind of go off of other than just the pure statistics of what they do in game? Yeah, I I think, uh, especially the minor league level, sometimes the statistics get skewed, what the traditional statistics are, uh, because a guy's working on something or, uh, you know, one bad outing for a reliever can, can ruin those numbers for six weeks, you know, stuff like that. Uh, so it's more of uh, their process of how they go about things. Uh, are they doing what they need to be doing? Um, do this, the numbers that matter for success, what we believe are for success come over? Like, you know, is, can, is he throwing first pitch strikes? Is he getting two out of three, right? Is he pounding the strike zone? Uh, is there some swing and miss in there at times? Um, you know, different things for different guys depend on what style of pitcher they are. Um, are they executing what we would like them to execute their pitches? You know, are the metrics how we want them in the right area? Uh, are they, you know, is the mixing, uh, the percentage of pitches usage, what we would like to see that we think is going to be successful? at the higher levels. And so there's a lot of factors why guys move up and why guys don't. Um, 
but most of it is, you know, we're always trying to reevaluate the guys on a regular basis and give them their next thing to continue to improve on. Everybody's got something to improve. Even when they get to the big leagues, they're going to have to improve on something. They may actually have to work harder then than they ever do in the minor leagues. It's harder to stick in the big leagues than it is to get to the big leagues. Uh, I firmly believe that. So getting these guys in a growth mindset that there's always something they can improve, but also trusting their stuff to know this is what I'm really, really good at. So it's that kind of fine line when you put a program together for a guy uh, and just how he can handle the game situations. You know, I mean, that's part of it. How, how fast they can process information sometimes is, is part of it. It's just like why some athletes are like some quarterbacks are great. They just can't process the information fast enough. You're right. Physically. And so, um, that is a factor that has to go in there. And so the only way I believe you do that is put them in those situations as often as you can and, uh, and walk them through it, you know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And you got to be able to adapt and adjust to whatever's going on in front of you. For example, like a guy can't hold on runners very well. All right. Well, we're going to put you in those positions a whole lot more and maybe simulated games or simulated type of bullpen where there's a runner on first and we're going to work on the pickoff or we're going to work on doing this. Right. And, you have the resources to be able to do that. It's it's awesome to be able to almost kind of find out what their weak point is and then help build on that and help just help them develop and become an overall better, better athlete. So, yeah, absolutely. I I love what you said there too, about the growth mindset. And I know back whenever I was first playing, like you were really big on that just everywhere where we were around is having a growth mindset where we always are continuing to get better and you're never fully just arrived to a certain position, right? Even as a coach, I think, you know, this is something that we always have to have this little thing in the back of our head. We're like, Hey, what can I get better at too, as a coach? Or what, what's this other thing that I can help improve or enhance how I communicate or maybe an understanding of something that I may not be the best at, whether that's pitch analytics or, you know, maybe it has something to do with the human body, right? Like, you want to always con- want to continue to learn and and grow, um, no matter what. Or maybe if it's something that a lot of people don't see, it could be just overall communicating to the other departments, like the you know physical therapist or the you know the the mental performance guys, or whatever other departments you got in there to be able to collaborate with all those guys is is definitely a. I don't want to say it's a lost skill, but it's it's something that a lot of people are starting to get a lot more involved with to be able to have that collaboration. Skip ahead the next 60 seconds if you don't want to find out about a company I co-founded, Ink Sports Performance. So here's the scoop. At Ink Sports Performance, we get it. We were athletes ourselves, former college and professional pitchers. We were also perform- former college coaches as well. Rob and I, we don't do one-size-fits-all programs. We custom craft each training and throwing program and offer that one-on-one coaching support that you need where you're not just a number. We're all about that personal touch. We'll dive into your training videos, whip up some of the program designed to take you to your next level. Nothing cookie-cutter here. So if you, one of your friends, or maybe a player that you know, is serious about competing at the next level, 
have, hit us up on our website, give us a call, get that set up at inksportsperformance.com. And also just a heads up, we're also very selectful, selective who we take, right? We only take a handful of dedicated athletes. And if you're not putting in the work, we'll have to say goodbye. So let's ink you in to the next level. Yeah, I absolutely. I think that's vital. You know, uh, got to, uh, we have to make sure everybody's on the same page for the guy. The guy's hearing the same message all the time from everybody. Um, and there's parts we lean on as far as in their development that uh, from the experts in the other departments on what he's doing. Like, I'm not going to walk in there and tell him what their lifting program is, right? I can walk in and talk with our strength coach on, hey, this is what we're trying to get him to do on the mound. And he's not he's not being able to make that movement. Is there something we can enhance or do in the weight room that could uh, help him feel that more or uh, create that stability that needs to happen or mobility that needs to happen at that point, you know, or walk into the trainer's office and say, Hey, you know, we just don't see he's, you know, he's telling me there's, he's not recovering quite like he has been, you know, we have tests in place and stuff, but is there something that is he missing his stuff? Is he not doing this? So we can just figure out what's going on and, and have that communication across the board. Uh, we try to have our pitching coach, strength coach, and trainer meet once a week uh, at all the affiliates and just go through everybody real quick, right? If if everybody, if the guys at status quo, you know, it's just, hey, hey, Garrison's great, man. We'll just keep, everything's going good, you know, but now we one of us sees something start coming up. Well. You know, Joe came in for some treatment on his elbow uh, over the weekend this past weekend. He hadn't been coming in. He's got a little sore. So something you can dive in there or, you know, you know, we do jump scans in the weight room and stuff like that. The scores could be down or, you know, just information where we get all that kind of stuff. It's it's great. So uh, we can all plan on how to monitor, you know, to readjust his his workload for that week right so because the key is they still want to pitch in the games we want them to pitch in the games the other stuff around that is what can get adjusted so that they can uh get their appearances and get their time in the game and that's how they get evaluated and that's the true test for them no absolutely everything else is just preparation leading up to that right like yeah. you can axe and change and i even do this for some of my amateur guys like hey like if you don't get the lift in, but you have a game, you know, in the next couple of days, focus more on the movement and mobility side, right? Like you don't have to tear yourself down too much in season because you got to keep the main thing, the main thing, right? You got to make sure that you're ready to rock and roll and compete the best way possible. Yeah, exactly. But you can also just not lift all season either. So there, there has to be that fine balance that you get with guys, you know, cause some guys will get that way. Like, they missed a lift because they were fatigued and they played and then they perform really well. And now they think, Oh, well I performed that I didn't lift. Well, no, you just performed well because we gave you a chance to recover. But now if you don't lift, you're not going to keep your strength up and your, your abilities are going to diminish as the season goes on. So educating the players is a big part of it. Right. And that's the thing. Now kids come in or they're not kids. The men come in to pro ball. They're, they're way more educated than they than I was at that age uh, on on that part of what it was, or even probably you were at that age. And us as a development staff have to be on top of that stuff too, uh, because 
if they come in and you can't talk their language or you don't feel they can relate to you about something they feel that was important in their development, right? Then sometimes that trust factor of do I go to this guy when I'm struggling comes in. Not that whether I'm not trusting me as far as human being, but just is this the guy I need to go to if I start struggling? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you got to have some rapport there with that. And like, you know, like you mentioned, speaking that language, even if it's not, you know, English to Spanish, it's like, okay, hey, like this guy talks more like, you know, driveline lingo or this guy talks more old school lingo or, you know, whatever the school of thought that he comes from. It's good for guys to be to be familiar with those. I mean, again, I've been around multiple of those and being able to kind of almost break it down to a system like you, kind of what you're talking about. It's like, hey, okay, what's like a consistent word that we can use here? Because not everybody's using the yeah. same, like, you know, like the scientific yeah. method, the same type of words for everything. They're throwing different words or names at, at, you know, maybe the same thing like a pivot pick versus a, you know, a Marshall drill. was mm-hmm. one that kind of comes to my head is like, hey, it's basically the same thing. Why yeah. do you call it different things? You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and, you know, and we, we label them, you know, different things for different drills and stuff. Uh, same thing. It's all the same. You just got to teach them your lingo, uh, teach them the systems that you have in place uh, and how to do that. And basically try to, you know, create our goal is trying to create individualized plans for, you know, 120 pictures a year. Uh, you have it's, you know, because there's no cookie cutter way to do things. Now, we believe. I do believe success leaves clues. It shows you some, uh, you need to go see what successful players have done and then what they've done in, that are similar. Uh, Cause I think there's themes to what they do, whether it's pitching, hitting, fielding, whatever, and try to figure out uh, those themes to help a guy move in that way. I believe there's fundamental movements in pitching. I believe style is the guy's, way of pitching, like arm slot, uh, you know, little flare, you know, kind of that that's the style. But within that style, there are fundamental cores that you see that have been successful uh, throughout the history of baseball with guys that have been Hall of Fame guys who've thrown hard, who've had been healthy for long periods of time. They tend to seem to all move the same way. You know, uh, they all look a little different because they're built different. Mm-hmm. Uh they have a little different style. Some are, you know, high three quarter. Some are almost straight sidearm. Uh, that's some of the thing about, uh, I believe, where the motor preference comes in for guys. I don't think guys move differently. I think what their preference is tells them where their slot's going to be. That's how I view motor preference for most guys, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, on type of their stuff, like if they're, you know, if they have high pivot points in their spine, they tend to be going to be more over the top type guy because they can get a little tilt in there. If they don't, they're going to have to be a lower arm slot guy because they just don't get that tilt in the upper spine of the, oh, yeah. of the trunk. You know, there's things like that. Uh, but you know, there's certain factors that you see that all guys have, they all, you know, most of them hip in, most of them drive through. Uh, I'm a big one. We've been working on and It's not a secret. If you go look almost, I, don't know if I found a Hall of Famer whose back foot's off the ground at release yet. Hmm. Yeah, there's a right. lot of that too. Um, there's a there's a the new delivery that we see a lot of guys doing now is front foot down really early and pulling the arm through. Uh, 
I just don't see if you're on one leg at release, your trunk's not stable. Anytime you're on one leg, you're not stable up the system, right? Uh, you can try it when you get home, just try to be on one leg and you're going to be more wobbly. Even if you're on both legs with your foot turned over, you're going to be more stable and your body's going to be able to handle the force and the energy going through the system better, in my opinion, instead of the the other one tends to get the force towards the end of the leverage and the lever ends up being the elbow, unfortunately for a lot of guys. And I think that puts a lot of stress, undue stress on the elbow when you could just fix some things lower half that still throw just as hard and be able to maybe even command a ball a little better. Sure. Oh, absolutely. And I think a lot of that too, kind of going to your point of like, okay, yeah, the, the back foot it's on the ground, you know, that's not leaking up. A lot of people see that in, in a way where they don't look at the other pieces. They just see the foot, right? They, they're like, okay, Hey, what's happening to the hip and the shoulder? Well, the reason why the foot's up off the ground is because the peak velocity of the hip, the torso and the shoulder basically all going at the same time. Right. right. That, that sequence may not be, you know, ideal. Again, not everybody's going to have the exact same pitch every single yeah. time or the exact same sequence, but you know, there's a, a more efficient way to do it. And even before that, right? Like I agree with Lance Wheeler a lot where he's like, hey, like go back to the beginning, go back to the the leg lift or, you know, the, mm -hmm. the first move, right? Like that's going to tell you a lot of why they might may not be getting into certain positions or transitioning or even yeah. break it down even further. You're going into more of the mobility side. Like, hey, does he have the internal rotation to even get there? And that's where you can kind of go mm -hmm. to the PT or you know, maybe the strength guy and be like, Hey, can we maybe see if we can get a little bit more range here or see like maybe if there is an opportunity to help him get into certain positions. Um, how do you, I guess, communicate that? Like let's, we could use the same example for a guy who has that back foot kind of coming up off the ground. Like what would be kind of the, the process of how you go about um, identifying that and trying to change it? Yeah. So, um, I, I'm a firm believer, uh, always have been on, if you start, if you start right, you finish right, the stuff in the middle takes care of itself. Uh, so if there's something in the middle that's not happening, right. We, we always will back chain and figure out why that compensation happens. Mm -hmm. 99 out of a hundred times, it's a compensation for a movement that wasn't efficient or something earlier. Now, why that movement wasn't efficient. There's a, can be a thousand different reasons for that, right? It could be a mobility issue. It could be a strength issue. It could be a, a stability issue. Uh, it could just be a movement pattern. He's grooved the wrong movement pattern issue, right? So uh, he he just has a different picture in his head or something that he's 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 got a verbal cue that's uh, he translated a different way than what was intended, right? So that's why I like to use video a lot instead of verbal yeah. cues, so they don't because uh, we all do different different things differently. So I think you got to go back in that. Um, and I think when you can talk to them about, we're not trying to change your style. This is who you are as a pitcher. What we're trying to do is get you to be more efficient inside your style. Okay. And really? I always revert it back to like a track sprinter, right? Usain Bolt was really, is really, really fast. Right. But how much time has he spent working on his technique and, this stuff, you you know, unbelievable amount of time. He couldn't have just, if he would have not done any of that stuff and just ran, he's not the Usain Bolt 
that we have, right? He had always been a really fast person, but he wouldn't be the world's fastest human, right? Uh, and you see that. You always have to work on becoming more efficient, and you're never going to have it. You can only work on it. So I always say it's like your golf swing. You'll never have it. You can only work on it. Your pitching delivery is the same <laughs> way, right? Because because what you, you're – and if you watch guys, their delivery at 21 is not their delivery at 28, yeah. which is not their delivery at 33. Uh, and it's just because the changes in the body happen, right? We As we grow, we lose mobility some. There's other factors that come in. Plus, we just figure out ways that work better for us. Hopefully, that's what we should be doing is trying to figure out a way to always keep moving forward and better. Yeah. You know, I show them. Yeah. I always show them. Go back and show them the videos of Steph Curry training or Kobe Bryant training. uh, And that those guys worked out so hard every day and they kept doing basics and kept trying to do a little bit better here. And then they would stretch themselves a little bit further once they could do that. We well, we never have it. We always got to continue to do that if you want to truly get to the peak of your your ability. That's and so trying to teach guys that and give that to them and and, and show them a path on how we can help them get there because that's what we are. We are uh, especially in pro ball, but I believe coach anyway. We're really more consultants, right? They're it's it's their career, but we we should have systems and stuff that helps them and guides them uh, and let them. Uh, choose that path is going to get them there much faster and quicker, hopefully. Oh yeah, absolutely. And there's, you know, the, uh, one guy that comes to mind, I'll kind of leave him out because it might put another organization on blast. Not you guys, but um, a guy went in, he was, you know, at school throwing really, really well, you know, so like that 20, 21 age range and lighten it up triple digits. And then all of a sudden, you know, he goes into this organization pro ball and they try to kind of change and tweak things and all of a sudden his performance goes down velocity, all that good stuff. Right. So then you're like, okay, Hey, at the end of the day, if he was already doing good here, like you said, success leaves clues. Like maybe we should kind of go back a little bit more to what worked a little bit. Right. Like you don't need to reinvent the wheel completely for guys. You want to make sure that they're, you know, making changes that are helping them improve. And again, there's probably a lot more nuance to this context dependent. Like if there was injuries, things like that, then yeah, the body's not going to be able to move nearly as well as it maybe was able to at 21 versus the age of 28, you know, but I think it's, I always like to use guys, especially if they've thrown really hard in the past. I want to look at those videos too, and then kind of compare that to where they're at now. If, if the, the performance is depreciated, right. Or maybe like, one with with pain if they're currently having pain or soreness and one without where everything yeah. is going good. It's it's a good way to kind of almost kind of compare and contrast how those two might be different. Yeah, uh, I agree. I mean, I think if a guy's performing well and he's healthy, right, uh, there's, you know, there's some things in the body we just don't know that he's he's kind of figured out and, and done that. Uh, but if there has been a past injury in there, you know, I I firmly believe if a guy's had TJ, he should not throw like he used to throw. There should be some a change when he comes back from where he threw, right? I just believe I firmly believe that, right? Not just he may have been throwing 99, but he blew out, right? It's not if he comes back and throws exactly like that, there's a chance that we're 
the that movement pattern was putting extra stress somewhere, right? Uh, oh, yeah. So there should be some changes made. So there's there's things you have to go back and look at and you talk with guys with. Um, and a lot of our guys are young. They hadn't had the arm problem yet, but, uh, you know, that's where listening to our trainers and our strength coaches come in when guys start getting really sore or uh, they're getting treatment on an area. Stitching coaches, we need to, it's not like we're being a uh, big brother or whatever. It's it, it That's a clue for us that there could be something going on in the delivery that could be adding stress there that maybe a, just a minor little tweak that could, that could change the change him and let him start recovering well or be less sore. So that's the whole thing with the collaboration process. They're not going to come to the pitching coach and tell them they're sore very often. They, they don't want to do that, you know, but they'll, you know, that's why you have to be, I believe what you're good. You have to be really good uh, communicators with your trainers because you can tell where guys are going nowadays it's a little bit easier they all do the cupping so you can just walk through the locker room and you can tell where everybody's sore because they got these big round hickeys all over their body where they're sore right. and yeah it kind of tells us as pitching coaches that okay i can see where he, that guy's getting a little bit more sore you know or he wouldn't be doing that so, but that's what you that's how i feel you are with guys the changes are made but and there's reasons other changes get made sometimes that with the player, like movement wise and stuff. So maybe we have to, because he can't spin a breaking ball that oh, we yeah. think is going to be a big league breaking ball. Right. Or uh, we're trying to get him out of a dead zone fastball spin, Right. And so we have to do something to change a little bit here. So, or we just don't feel that he's going to be able to make it and progress like he was. Cause they all have had success or they wouldn't have got to pro ball at the current level at the level they were at before. So uh but some of that time is you have to put the the big picture in mind of what we know what can get this guy to the big leagues, right? And we firmly look at that with everybody. We do as the Rockies. I mean, I I look as every pitcher as we get as there is a big leaguer in there. Right? It's like it's like building a sculpture, right? You start with this big old clay. There's a there's an awesome sculpture inside of there. Right. I believe every guy that comes to us, there's a big league pitcher inside there. Our job is to help him mold and shape himself. It's not reinvent himself, not do something different. It's what does he need to reshape here? What does he need to remold here? What does he need to uh, do? We need to relocate something here, however it works to to get him to be the best version of himself. And that gives him his best shot at getting to the big leagues. And that's what I feel our job is in player development is to help that is to help him sculpt himself into the best player he can be. Oh, absolutely. And making those decisions and changes as informed decisions, right? Like based on what you guys are seeing, like, okay, hey, these things need to be done or these K- KPIs, you know, whatever lingo you want to throw out there. Yeah. Things need to be met in order for him to be at that level. 100% agree, you know, yeah. versus maybe, I don't know, 20 years ago, guys were just like, ah, that that doesn't look right. Our guys in this organization don't throw this way because it just doesn't look right. right. Probably, you know, a thing in the past. But, uh, you know, it's it's just one of those things that looking back, you're like, hey, maybe we should have had a little bit more uh, information to even make some of that. Yeah. And I think now the information is great. We can identify the guy's strengths as far as 
how he gets hitters out way sooner and easier. Uh, you know, we try to put get, classified guys into what type of pitchers they are. Are they a vertical guy? Are they a horizontal guy? Traditional mixed guy? Are they an X guy? Right. There's different terms you can use, but making sure he understands what his strengths are and how he needs to go about attacking guys and what he needs to develop uh, is drastically different. I mean, I'll be honest when I was in pro ball, everybody, we threw the ball at the knees and it didn't matter if you were a four seam guy, a two seam guy, a curveball guy, slider guy, uh, that's where you went through. Right. And it's okay. I mean, but the guys that tend to, their metrics match that or tend to be the guys that had more success, right? A lot of times. But then you go back and you look, or you just had the guys that just threw so hard back then that they let them do whatever they wanted to, you know, but which tend to be the four seam ride guys with curveballs that they kind of let go back in the days. Um, but now everybody throws that below, right? I mean, that's, you don't separate yourself with velo very often anymore. It's it's the movement of the pitches. Uh, yeah. And and our biggest goal is make sure a guy knows who he is, right? What he can go to when when he needs to go to get a pitch, uh, when he needs to create something, when he needs to get an out, what's his best option? Not what the scouting report says or whatever. What he knows is his best pitch to go and get an out at this point in time. Uh that's what we try to instill in our guys from day Absolutely. one for them to have that identity and who they are. That's, that's huge, right? Like they need to know, Hey, I'm really good at attacking guys up in the zone and then have some other pitch that goes down regardless, of whatever pitch it might be mm-hmm. for them to kind of try to go and chase, trying to throw a sweeper is probably not the best idea. No. <laughs> and, and that's happened. I mean, we'll, we'll get guys that come in that were a vertical type pitcher and they, came in in the last couple of seasons and may have a sweeper, right? It happens. Or or all of a sudden you get a guy that's sinker slider guy. And all of a sudden he's started chasing vert for some reason on a four seamer and does it not necessarily as bad, but all of a sudden his two seamer doesn't play like it used to. It got right. So no, no pitch works in a vacuum, right? We have to, when we tell our guys like, Hey, that may look great by itself, but how does it play with the other? the rest of your arsenal we're trying to create the best arsenal here not just the best uh individual pitch right because at the big leagues very few guys can get by with just one pitch right there's there's not very many mario riveras in the world <laughs> not many more of those left no no that's why everybody knows who that is <laughs> you know there's one of them i mean he he had two pitches but he even had basically just minimal movement on those <laughs> crazy for him to be able to have the success that he did with that um but yeah kind of going back to your point there of you know certain pitches and affecting the entire arsenal like i've seen this trend with guys if they're a curve and slider guy again this is probably just more on the college side sometimes their consistency of those pitches get off especially if they're trying to throw it almost like back to back so the shape's not always going to stay the same um, at what point do you basically think we're like, Hey, maybe we just need to ax one pitch and just go all in on the slider or, Hey, we'll go all in on the curveball. Yeah. Um, our big thing is, is what plays best off their best fastball. Right. Mm-hmm. So that, uh, what, what's going to be that type. I always look up what's going to be the pitch for your off your fastball that you're going to be able to throw and pair with. 
the best. Uh, and that would be our main one that we'd want to throw. Uh, it, so it kind of depends. If a guy's going to be more of a four-seam guy and, you know, if we see the metric has a little bit more ride or whatever, then we're probably going to want to pitch with more depth. So it's probably going to be a curveball as long as it's – as long as we would grade the pitches pretty equal to each other, right? I'm not saying you have to, you know, if they have both of them and we thought they were going to be. The first way we would look at is just once one we thought grades out better. Right. You know, there's we have enough metrics at the big league level now that we know, hey, this pitch at this velo with this movement uh, plays really well. Right. So you got a better shot of that having success than maybe this pitch that didn't play quite as well. Um, so there's a lot of factors that go into what you try to do there. Um, but if he, if they start running into each other a lot on the breaking balls, then we that's something you'll have to go and really figure out which way direction, sit down with the guy, which way he wants to go, uh, what he wants to do. Uh, and for us in Denver, we, we need guys like that, honestly, that can throw both sometimes. And it's not a, it's a good thing. Oops. Sorry. Didn't mean to hit that. Uh, it's not a, uh, a bad thing. Says we have different, um, uh, Pitches play differently in different environment, you know, in our environment. So when we're at oh, altitude is when we're at sea level. So sometimes we, a pitch that we need to bridge a pitch when we're at sea level, we don't need that pitch once we get to altitude or don't need to use it near as much when we get to altitude because we don't have to bridge that uh, movement anymore. So that's why some guys need it. You know, we get a big guy with a big four seam curveball. He's probably still needs a slider or a cutter for a sea level, but he may not have to have it as much for altitude with us. And everybody says, well, wouldn't the curveball break less? Well, yes, but it breaks into that point where we get what we want to call our ideal separation, you know, which I think most guys, it's about two foot is about ideal, you know, give or take an inch or two, you know, you want about that 24 inch movement between pitches is about the maximum you know, maybe you can get by with 26 before you need a bridge pitch in there. Well, altitude, sometimes that's all we get separation. So I don't need the bridge pitch, right? The bridge pitch actually becomes really flat and really bad <laughs> slider. You know, now when I'm at sea level and I'm getting 32 inches of movement difference between fastball and curveball, now I need that pitch. So just understanding and for us to develop guys that way, uh, understanding to teach them usage. Uh, we don't change how a guy pitches. Like I think anybody can be successful in different. It, it's more what usage of pitches need, how you may have to readjust the usage of how you go about attacking guys once you get to altitude. Yeah, no, I, I'm glad you brought that up. And I was actually going to have that as like <laughs> next questions because the environment yeah. does play a huge role. And I mean, here guys that play anywhere in, in the leagues are, any any of the teams that are over by you guys it's like yeah it's ball flies different man like you gotta almost cut the the era or anything else in half because of just how you know the ball just takes off and basically a launching pad for for some guys or you know you have the change in movements or you know i, I like how you use the word the bridge bridge pitch because that, that makes total sense for that uh environment change too yeah and yeah, and I mean, it, it's not so much like, I mean, we all know the ball is going to travel a little further when it's hit and stuff. Uh, 
but the it, the pitches move a little less. That's the big thing, right? We don't get the overall total movement of pitches. Uh, there are some advantages that we have. I may not go into that. One thing that, uh, right. that we're we're trying to explore a little bit. Uh, but understanding that every type of pitcher can be su- successful in our environment. It's not like we see one guy more successful than other, or uh, you just have to. Guys to be successful at both places have to learn uh, to basically use their pitches typically different. It's not, they're not a different style of pitcher. They just have to go with different percentages sometimes at, at different spots. Right. So, and it would be no, it's no different than other guys. Like some days my breaking ball is working and it's other days it's not. So I have to go with another pitch more. Right. Uh, we just, hopefully that we have to be a little bit more understanding of what, what our plan of attack is at, at both altitude and out of altitude. Sure. Yeah, no, I love that. I mean, a lot of people don't ever really think about that because they, again, they don't play across the nation necessarily as much. They're just, Hey, we're over here in the Southeast, everything's hot and muggy or, Hey, we're in the the Northwest and these things work for, for this way. Or, you know, especially whenever you go to spring training, ball flights are a lot different in Arizona versus when you go, up to Colorado or maybe even anywhere in the Northeast too. So it's definitely something that a lot of people don't, they take into account, but they don't realize how much it really can impact the game too. Right. And, you know, and I'll put it like, you know, people always said, Oh, well, you know, the, the Bay was whether Hel- Todd Helton should have been a hall of famer because he played all his career in Denver. Right. Well, I think it's much harder for a hitter to have to hit with the pitches moving the same pitch going to move different this week than it is next week when he goes, whether he's in altitude or uh, at sea level. And when you're a, where you're a hitter close to, you know, 300 career average, like Helton or whatever, I think that's super special uh, when you're having to not only deal with the different environment, but the different breaks of pitches and how, how they move and stuff uh, from week to week, you know? So uh, I, I, I thought it was a hall of famer all along, even, not just because I work for the Rockies, but just because once I started looking into that stuff and realized how hard that was to do that. So uh, props to him. Yeah. He was a great guy to watch for sure. No, no denying some of those hall of famers. Out there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Love it. Well, Flint, appreciate you coming on. That's all the questions I really had for you. Unless you had anything else you wanted to leave any of the listeners. Um, Oh, no, and I, I appreciate you having me on, Garrison. I hope, uh, you know, it was a great conversation. I hope we uh, somebody gets uh, one little nugget out of here that they can take and help them uh, help a player get better. That's the whole goal with all of us is go out every day and help each player get a little bit better. And then we put enough of those days together, then we start seeing some guys do some special things, I believe. That's it. Brick by brick every day, right? Yep, absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Flint. And for those of you listening, stay in the zone.